Hi, this is episode 20 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part two of chapter five of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Most of the Bagthorpes had now collected to look at Daisy's handiwork, and they all set up arguing what would be a fair proportion to charge Uncle Parker, taking into account how many years it had been since the sitting-room had been decorated, and how much longer it could reasonably have been expected to last. William and Rosie both started doing complicated mental arithmetic, and Jack loudly maintained that Uncle Parker was innocent anyway because he didn't like Daisy writing her thoughts on the walls either. Jack thought Aunt Celia should pay the bill. Had Rosie not been so eager to demonstrate her mathematical powers, she might have noticed that in the general confusion her charge had disappeared. The murals in the sitting-room had, it seemed, been only in the nature of an introduction to a series of similar ones all over the house. Daisy, with the battle raging below her, must have gone up the stairs backward on her bottom, sitting on each, and writing a thought or a drawing or diagram at each stage of her ascent. Aunt Celia said that these were symbolic and progressive, but nobody else could see it. Mrs. Bagthorpe found Daisy working her way along the landing, and gently persuaded her to go into Rosie's room where she was to sleep. "'You can play with any of the toys, dear,' she told her, "'and I hope you will be very happy with us.' She then went down to warn her husband about the stairs and landing, and sent Rosie up to keep an eye on Daisy. "'Don't let her out of your sight!' Mr. Bagthorpe told her. "'We've only got Russell's word for it that she stopped lighting fires.' When Daisy next emerged, she had her hair in little pigtails tied with large bows of pink ribbon. <clears throat> Daisy showed her round the family. "'Doesn't she look sweet?' she asked everybody, but no one could agree with any enthusiasm. It was already clear that Daisy, with or without pigtails, was dynamite.' What rendered the situation even more explosive was an amazing volt-face. I think that means an about-face. Later in the day, on the part of Grandma. An about-face? Like a changing of the mind. Kind of. She had been up in her room brooding while the row over Daisy's murals had been going on and did not see them until tea-time. Of her three children, Henry had always been Grandma's favorite, though she would not have admitted this even under torture. Claude, her other son was a very gentle man who took after Grandpa and hated arguments. Aunt Celia took after neither. She was, as Mr. Bagthorpe and Uncle Parker both agreed, though in a very different spirit in each case, something on her own. She had then gone and unaccountably married Uncle Parker, who had committed the unforgivable crime of running over Thomas in his own drive. Grandma had tended to lump Daisy in with her mother and father, and had never taken much notice of her as an individual. Grandma was not a very grandmotherly sort of person, and had never spoiled her grandchildren as she should have done. She had never cooed over anybody in her life, unless, perhaps, it had been the cantankerous and undeserving Thomas. When Grandma came down, the rest of the Bagthorpes were already at table in the kitchen. They were not talking about the defacement of the walls on Mrs. Bagthorpe's express instructions. "'Just don't refer to it,' she told them. "'She may not do it any more.' and she is our guest, and only four, and must on no account be upset. She had told this to the fuming Mrs. Fosdyke, too. There's no joy in doing this house any more, Mrs. Fosdyke told her. What's the use of me sweeping and dusting and polishing and cooking, and the dining room burned to cinders and horrible scribbles everywhere you look, and millions of tins you don't know what are? 
By Christmas, the whole place will be like new, Mrs. Bagthorpe promised her. In this she was right. By the end of Daisy's stay, practically the whole house needed redecorating. And at Christmas there'll be a party and crackers, and the whole thing'll start over again, said Mrs. Fosdyke fatalistically. History, Mrs. Bagthorpe told her inaccurately, never repeats itself, Mrs. Fosdyke. If it did, she replied, I should have to consider giving in my notice. While the Bagthorpes were having tea, Mrs. Fosdyke was relieving her pent up emotions by making a considerable rattle. Her temper had not been improved when Tess, whose turn it was to shake tins, had been asked for salmon and had produced a jam sponge pudding that Mrs. Fosdyke kept by for an emergency should she not be able to make her own. That'll go nice with the cucumber and the sandwiches, she had told Tess witheringly. The Bagthorpes were now eating cucumber sandwiches to be followed by cold jam sponge pudding. Mrs. Fosdyke had declined to heat it up and make custard. There was not nearly enough to go around, and of course no question of opening another, because by the law of averages as many as fifty tins would probably have to be opened before finding such a pudding. Grandma immediately scented excitement and perked up accordingly. Is something wrong? she inquired, through a mouthful of her first sandwich. Have I missed something? No, dear, replied Mrs. Bagthorpe. Nothing at all is wrong. Mrs. Bagthorpe upped, I mean, Mrs. Fosdyke upped her clatter by several decibels, and Grandma accurately received the signal. She looked round the table for clues, and her eye lit on Daisy. Who is that? she demanded. It's Daisy, Grandma! cried Rosie delightedly. You see, you didn't even recognize her. I knew she'd look even sweeter with pigtails. Hmm. Grandma was non-committal. She looked at her son. You look bad-tempered, Henry, she told him. Are you in a bad temper? You should know by now that I am seldom given the opportunity to be anything else, he returned. Grandma moved her gaze thoughtfully back to Daisy. She was putting two and two together. What has she done? she asked, point blank. Nothing, said the Bagthorpes in unison. We aren't allowed to talk about it, said Mr. Bagthorpe. We are going to pretend that nothing at all has happened. Are you by any chance going blind? Why? Grandma was startled by this inquiry. You came along the landing, he told her, and down the stairs, and you ask what has happened. Daisy then piped up. Come with me, Grandma Bag. She said, I'll show you what I did. I did some really nice things. It's just like home now. Mr. Bagthorpe winced but held his peace. Finish your tea first, dear, Mrs. Bagthorpe told Daisy. I have finished, thank you, Auntie Bag, replied <laughs> Daisy primly. Thank you very much. It was very nice of you to have me. Come on, Grandma. <laughs> Grandma got up and followed Daisy from the room, while the other Bagthorpes made various facial contortions at one another. Daisy and Grandma were gone a long time, and in the end Mrs. Bagthorpe instructed Mrs. Fosdyke to put some food aside for Grandma, and told the others they could leave the table. To a man they made for the door. They all went into the sitting room together. Daisy turned. Look, she said happily, look what Grandma Bag's doing. What Grandma was doing was writing her thoughts on the wall, with felt tips borrowed, presumably, from Daisy. "'as she was not known to possess any of her own. "'Oh, my God!' exclaimed Mr. Bagthorpe. "'I don't believe it.' 
"'What's she written?' "'William pushed his way past the others. "'What Grandma had written was, "'Like as the waves make to the pebbled shore, "'so do our moments hasten to their ends.' "'This was one of her favorite sayings "'when in one of her dark moods, "'and she had made a fair stab "'at drawing an orange skull underneath it. "'She looked up. "'They stood together, she and Daisy, "'staring back at the rest of the Bagthorpes, "'looking, both looking suddenly and uncannily alike. "'There was not a hint of guilt about either of them. "'If anything, they each wore a look of unusual and unsullied innocence. "'I like doing that,' announced Grandma at last. "'She and Daisy exchanged looks. "'That moment marked the beginning of what was to become known in the course of time, "'and not without just cause, as the unholy alliance.' And that's the end of Chapter 5 of Absolute Zero. Come and visit me at my blog, www.kray.org, and say hi. See you next time.